Welcome back, Grizz Nation, to another edition of The Long View. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and this week we will be taking our show over to the Spotify Green Room for a conversation over trending names for the 2021 draft in Memphis Grizzlies Twitter. But before we get there, don't forget to subscribe to the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network wherever you get your podcasts so you can get every single episode of GBB Live the Core 4 Podcast, the Starting 5 Podcast, the 3 and D Podcast, and the Long View Podcast. And make sure you are checking out our work over at grizzlybearblues.com, the official Memphis Grizzlies blog of SB Nation. Find us on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies or on the web at grizzlybearblues.com. And now, to the green room. All right, so there are... A couple guys that I've always really wanted to talk about that haven't been touched on on the Grizzly Bear Blues podcast network yet, in case you've missed the past editions of the long view. I have talked about Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer with Sean Coleman himself in this room. I've talked about Josh Giddy and Chris Duarte with Isaac Simpson. I've also talked about Franz Bonner and Josh Christopher with TJ Marzani. So there, there are a few guys I want to touch on in this particular room. And, you know, if you want to ask me about any other prospect of their long-term upside or their potential fit with the Grizzlies, go right ahead, put that in the discussions. But there's two guys in particular. And I am going to start with Usman Garuba. Garuba has been a mock draft favorite for the Memphis Grizzlies. And, you know, I kind of have that as like a, okay, I'd be kind of disappointed if that's the pick at 17 because they have Jaron Jackson Jr., they have Jonas Valanciunas, but they also have Brandon Clark and they have Xavier Tillman. And just getting another big man who's undersized for a big man already and he doesn't offer much offensively at the moment, kind of disappointing. You know, I'm kind of in the boat where, I only want a big man if it's Kai Jones or Alfred Shingun because both of them offer amazing offensive upside. But I'm not going to go out of my way and just say, like, oh, Garuba would be a bad pick. I know I said disappointing, but it's really disappointing with an asterisk. I would be disappointed with picking Garuba if they only stuck with 17 and 51 on draft night, if it was just traditionally right now, I I would be kind of disappointed to put a lot of stock into the wings of this draft, whether it's those UT guys of Springer and Keon Johnson or Corey Kisper, Josh Giddy, Chris Duarte, Josh Christopher, uh, Trey Murphy, the third Moses Moody, obviously my favorite draft guy right now. Uh, just after putting all that stock into the wings and just how they could fit next to John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., Dylan Brooks, 
it'd be disappointing to end out with Garuba. But I do think that he offers upside as potentially an, another elite defender to have in the front court next to Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, in the games last night where it was Team USA versus Spain, they had Garuba checking pretty much everyone across the court for Team USA. He started out checking Kevin Durant. He had some stints against Bam Adebayo, Draymond Green, Jamie Grant. He just has really strong defensive versatility. I know there was a clip I saw recently where he was going out like defending like almost all 94 feet on a perimeter guy. And then, you know, he got beat, but he ended up catching up to him and like getting a chase down block. So he offers that kind of defensive upside. I would say that he is he would basically fill the John Tay Porter role of just this high upside big man that you have at the end of the bench, primarily developing with the hustle, or even he's stashed over for a year. You kind of ride out Jonas Valanciunas' expiring contract. You figure out another year of the Brandon Clark Xavier Tillman dynamic, and you just are getting Garuba ready for big minutes, ideally his sophomore or junior seasons. I know that's not the best use of the 17th pick, but, you know, it's an upside swing. It's an interesting one per se, but I want to I wanna flip it over to Sean. Sean, what are your thoughts on just how Usman Garuba has been this mock draft favorite for the Memphis Grizzlies? Like, would you welcome that pick? Would you want other moves to be made? Let me know how you feel. Well, and I think a part of it is this, and, you know, I can only speak for myself, and it just comes from the fact that, you know, I probably don't do as, as much research as many others do, those that, you know, mock him there. You don't see as much of him, right? He's an international prospect, so you don't have as many reminders or reference points of what he does well. You're told that he potentially, you know, I've seen some folks say he's one of the you know best defensive prospects for his age that they've seen in a while. You you hear folks say that similar to Luca, not talent wise, but in terms of how he produced at the level of competition he was at such a young age is one of his biggest calling cards. And all that certainly works, but I agree with you. I think part of it, it's because you just don't have as many reference points with the fact that he's an international prospect. That's one thing that stands out. And also, it's the defensive upside instead of offensive upside for a team that we know probably needs to lean more offensive upside with their picks. Now, Usman Garuba, I think, would definitely be a pick that in time, you probably find yourself, once the rookie year happens, you probably would be fine with. And the overall idea is he's the type of guy who long-term probably projects better than a Clark or Tillman to be the one-two combination with Jaron. But there's just not a lot there offensively right now. There is a three-point shot that that you know you possibly could work with. I think it's similar to what Tillman had. But there's a lot of read and react with his offense right now there's not all there's not really any type of creation there's not really any type of facilitation his experience against the competition that he's played it showed last night allows for him to for his age have very good awareness of where to be maybe as a dish you know guy on the dunker spot or wherever it may be but there's just you're basically starting from scratch offensively and I really don't think it makes sense 
for the Grizzlies to pursue that option. So I agree with you. I feel like he's someone in time we'd warm up to and that he certainly has that good defensive base. I certainly can understand from reading scouting reports and watching a bit of film where people say that it makes sense for him to be the Grizzlies pick because of how good of a defender he is. But I just don't know with all the other options that are on there, if he makes the most sense and the excitement factor. Absolutely. And I want to flip it over to Brandon because you, you would let me know like some kind of semblance of what Uzman Garuba could be for the Grizzlies at least next season. I mean, obviously, his value is really just that guy in the front court who you end up having two big men that can go out and defend on the perimeter and switch, and they have really good defensive interchangeability there. But, I mean, you you brought up a really good point to me uh, in a side conversation earlier on Garuba and his – potential fit with the Grizzlies next season. So if you want to go ahead and share that. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we've talked about how he'd be kind of an underwhelming pick with, uh, you know, just other options. And then just with, you know, the the depth the Grizzlies have the power forward position. Uh, But going off some of the points Sean made, the interesting piece with Garuba is, He's kind of a raw, you know, high upside prospect to where, you know, Grizzlies fans have kind of gotten used to over the years of, you know, Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman, Brandon Clark, all playing significant roles in their rookie years. Garuba would not have that type of role if the Grizzlies were to take him at 17th overall. Um, You know, I could kind of see two different scenarios happening where either one, he stays overseas and, you know, he stays off the Grizzlies books for a year. Um, they obviously would retain his rights and could sign him following next season where there could be some roster consolidation um, in the front court. Or they could just sign him to, you know, his normal rookie deal and just let him ball out, you know, in South Haven with the hustle, practice with the Grizzlies, and you know, kind of just let him mature and grow a little bit, um, you know, compared to a guy like Corey Kispert or, you know, Franz Wagner, who, you know, people are going to kind of want to – try and find a role for in the rotation almost immediately. Right. It, it's definitely more intriguing to kind of chase a guy who could potentially play consistent minutes, good minutes, playoff minutes for a Memphis Grizzlies team next season, uh, using the 17th pick on a guy who would basically be the hustle version of Draymond Green or, Bam Adebayo doesn't doesn't re- really entice me or doesn't really move me. But, you know, even if it's a guy like Usman Gariba, this front office deserves the benefit of the doubt. They've come out of the past two drafts with a resounding success. Obviously, John Morant, easy. That, that's an easy success. Obviously, that was a, a great choice there. And trading up and noticing that Brandon Clark is falling and moving up and dropping Boston to go get him and leaving them with Grant Williams of all pl- players. And then, but really, I mean, last year's draft, they, they had the 40th pick overall and they came out of it with Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman, two guys that ended up contributing towards winning immediately, even without a summer league or a normal training camp or anything. So even if it's someone like Garuba or any other prospect that you consider disappointing, they deserve the benefit of the doubt, and if it's Garuba, I won't be mad. But I'm going to move on to somebody who would get a lot more people excited, 
And that's somebody who's been talked about as a target in the draft basically since the college basketball season started. And that's Corey Kispert out of Gonzaga. And you know, there there's a little bit of discourse with Corey Kispert because his age, his profile, whatever. But I would say, if this were the Grizzlies picking between 7 and 11, I would not be too ecstatic about picking Corey Kispert, especially when there's guys like Moses Moody, Franz Wagner, James Booknight, Josh Giddy, uh, Keon Johnson, players like that on the board. I mean, heck, even Jalen Johnson to an extent. But, I mean, if Corey Kispert fell to 17, you know, there, there's guys rising, there's guys falling. It's possible if Corey Kispert falls to 17. That would be a home run pick for the Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, I'm just looking at the splits right now. He averaged almost 19 points a game. And he shot 44% from three on six and a half attempts. But I think the thing that entices me the most with Corey Kispert is his two-point percentage. He shot almost 63% on two-pointers last season, uh, shooting about a little under six two-pointers a game. And this is how I see it. It's one of those things where, you know, if defenders are trying to close out on Kispert and run him off the line, he can step in a couple of a couple steps, one or two dribbles, and knock down a mid-range shot. Or he could take it all the way to the goal. He's not a complete liability if you run him off the three-point line. Granted, there are some improvements he needs to make as a playmaker and as a ball handler, but that's not going to be his role on the Grizzlies. I mean, could you just imagine just the absolute glory of John Morant like operating off the drive and defenders are having to pick their poison? It's either a John Morant floater a Destin Bain three-pointer, a Corey Kispert three-pointer, a Jaron Jackson three, or a Dylan Brooks three. I mean, heck, I mean, the Grizzlies ran those three-wing lineups in the playoffs where they were rolling out Melton, Bain, and Grayson Allen. And and adding Corey Kispert into that would kind of make it a little more feasible in a playoff rotation. Uh, He also averaged five rebounds a game, and I think it's one of those things where you're building around Jaron Jackson Jr. and the long-term objective with him being a starting five, hopefully, or even just him and like in the team construction as him as a franchise cornerstone. You've got to get as many good positional rebounders as possible. And Corey Kispert profiles that. I mean, I know it's not the glamorous pick. He's been talked about all year, and people are having a little bit of recency bias with his performance in the Final Four in the NCAA Championship, as well as Joe Harris's performance in the playoffs. Corey Kispert would be an awesome pick at 17, and he'd be a guy where short-term, I mean, he can he can kind of ease his way in off the bench. You know, you can end up replacing Desmond Bain and, or replacing Grayson Allen in the starting lineup with Desmond Bain and having Kispert in Bain's role. And maybe long-term, like you're looking at a scenario where uh, Dylan Brooks and Corey Kispert are your starting wings and Desmond Bain's off the bench. Or – you could have uh, Bain and Kispert in the starting lineup, and then you get that actualized dream of Dylan Brooks as the sixth man being a perennial sixth man of the year candidate every single season. That's kind of the way I look at it with Kispert. Obviously, it's tough because you want more upside and stuff, but at some point, and to the Grizzlies' point, they've, they've stuck to it as their MO. You'll get productive guys, and Corey Kispert was one of the more productive players in college basketball last season. 
So if, if any of y'all want to chime in and maybe you can tell me I'm wrong, you can add to my points, but how, how does everyone else like to the potential fit with Corey Kispert, both short-term and long-term? I'll chime in here for a second. I think when you say he's not the most glamorous of picks, I mean, I think he's about as glamorous as anybody the Grizzlies could take it at 17 would be. I mean, not that to take anything from Garuba or any of those other guys that have been rumored there, but Kispert probably has the highest name recognition and shock value of really anyone they could take it at 17. Uh, But moreover, I think you nailed it with he can kind of work his way into the rotation. They give him some minutes this year and, and so on because of his age and his progression and so on, but he doesn't have to necessarily be called upon as a first or second or even third option uh, for the Grizzlies this year for the Grizzlies to compete and stuff. And I think something that a lot of people are pointing at when highlighting his performance or lack thereof in the final four is that um, they missed that he was really kind of having to, in a way, carry that Gonzaga team that ran into better big man play and had to not rely on Timmy and, Um, some of their other staples throughout the year. And so they needed to ask more of Kispert and not that he can't handle that, but I think he's much better in a role where you can have a John Morant and a Jaron Jackson and other guys who can maybe carry your team and then utilize him as a depth piece and so on. And Brandon has a much better take on why he's a good fit for the Grizzlies that I'll let him share in a second. But I personally think if, you know, he may not exactly fit the mold of the current Grizzlies, which are the, you know, run and jump and, you know, be hyper athletic and thrive on speed and everything. He's not quite that, although he is a really nice shot off the wing. And like you were saying, if you have to choose between death by John Morant floater, a host of other people's three pointers or Corey Kispert three pointer, like that's pretty nice. But he's not exactly the high flying, fast running, whatever. Um, but in a couple of years when maybe the goal is for Memphis to be a wickedly efficient, you know, going to death by a million paper cuts on floaters and high percentage two pointers, like you said, you know, Corey Kisper fits that perfectly as well as being the outside shot that can consistently maybe be your Joe Harris type. And like I said, Brandon has a much more educated take on that, but from my standpoint and limited scope of what Corey Kispert is, Seems like a home run, yeah, if Memphis can get him at 17 or or somewhere around there. Well, and I'll just kind of take that transition then. Um, appreciate it, Will. Uh, it's, uh, you know, Kispert at 17 is just really good value for a guy. Uh, the Grizzlies, you know, the past few drafts have, you know, kind of not necessarily going against what y'all are saying because Kispert at 17 is a home run. But the last few drafts, the Grizzlies haven't, you know, gone after home run type players. They've gone after, you know, some singles or doubles in the second round, you know, like, you know, not to use too many baseball analogies, but, you know, they just, they don't, they go for the high floor. And then if the ceiling is not so high, they don't care. They're going to get guys that they know are productive basketball players. And a guy with Corey Kispert, um, Parker, you said it in the chat, he's kind of like a taller Grayson. And from a basketball and financial standpoint, it's just is a great fit for the Grizzlies because because Kispert's taller, he can you know has a little bit more positional flexibility, and then you know Grayson has a contract extension coming up, 
and where the Grizzlies will have to either decide to extend him, let him enter restricted free agency, and he could have a you know pretty nice payday because you know he's an excellent three point shooter. If you're able to land Kispert, especially at 17, or even if you want to package 17 and Grayson to move up, you know, three four spots to take Kispert, you know, you should probably expect to get the same value out of Kispert as you do Grayson. And you're basically kicking the big payday down the road for three to four years, um, which is going to be extremely valuable as you, you know, enter the jaw and Jaren extensions. Um, and then the boat buttload of money they may have in free agency following next season. Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to kind of see how it plays out. Um, and it all depends on who's on the board at 17 or if the Grizzlies make a move up in the draft, but if the Grizzlies stay put and Kispert's on the board, it's a, a great selection, even if he doesn't have the highest upside in the world. Yeah, I'm just going to say that Corey Kispert at 17 is a absolute top three overall outcome for the Grizzlies. I would take Kispert probably. I would take Kispert over Springer or Keon, and, and those in here that know me know how much I love those players. But it's, it's the layers that come with Kispert. Is he just a shooter? No. He is a value-added source every time he's on the court. Very good team defender. Historically, one of the best transition contributors in NCAA history. His ability at the volume that he shot threes to make it over 40% was on the level of Doug McDermott and Kyle Korver over the past 30 years. That's very rare. And it is the size that stands out. And if you can get what you get in Desmond Bain, but you have a bit more ability for off-the-dribble three-point shooting, three-level scoring, and transition contributions, plus the same level of defensive improvement that you saw Bain make in Corey Kispert as a true wing, that is an extremely valuable player. And let's don't forget what Taylor Jenkins has done with players that can shoot. You see what he's done for Grayson Allen, Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, Kyle Anderson, and and Desmond Bain's games. Now imagine getting the best of that bunch in Corey Kispert to come into the mold. And he can improve his defense like he did Baines last year. And the other big thing that Brandon brought up so eloquently, and I'll never, uh, I never try to sit here and compliment Brandon, is the fact that I, I've said it many times that I'll say it again. I would rather have Corey Kispert on a rookie deal than a Joe Harris on four years 72 or Duncan Robinson at four years 80. Because I think with Taylor Jenkins, Corey Kispert may not necessarily be that level of shooter, but he would be a very good shooter. And the fact that he is as big as he is means you can play him and Bain at the same time on the court. And that's what stands out. He would be an absolute home run for many reasons that you look for a small market like the Grizzlies to get. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, that little rotation that they did in the playoffs where they played Melton, Grayson, and Bain at the same time just kind of drove up the need, the long-term long view need for shooting with size because you know if you have guys like Brandon Clark and Xavier Tillman who aren't going to space the floor as well and they're going to be phased out of playoff rotations you're going to need wings with size and that can shoot the ball obviously uh, Coy Kispert fits that profile and we've kind of seen different players that kind of fit that MO that they've been tied to in the draft whether it's been Moses Moody or uh, to a lesser extent, Josh Christopher, Trey Murphy the third, th- those guys kind of fit that archetype. 
And, you know, if you have a, the ability to add a shooter like Kispert, you, you do it. I, I don't, I think people are just kind of bored about Kispert's analysis because his, his profile and his strengths and weaknesses are kind of established in like December or January. So everyone's just kind of tired. They want to talk about other prospects. They want to talk about risers. I, I think that's something that's everybody's been a victim of in NBA draft Twitter, but even in Memphis Grizzlies draft Twitter said people are just bored by Kisford, but don't let it derail the fact that he's like a bonafide top 15 guy in this class. And he, he could be an impactful player day one. And that, that's been the real strategy for the Memphis Grizzlies the past two years in the draft is go find players that can impact day one. And I don't know anybody in that 17 range that can do that like Kispert. Uh, we're about to wrap up here. If you want to uh, want us to talk about any other draft prospects, just drop it in the chat. Be more than glad to talk about them. Uh, just a heads up if, if you're asking for guys like the UT guys like Springer and Keon or Giddy or Duarte, uh, Josh Christopher, Franz Vonner. I've, I've covered those on a long feed. Make sure you check out the Grizzly Grip Blues podcast network. But we had Vought mention Cam Thomas and I'll kind of just give like a personal evaluation of Cam Thomas. I did like a little flip on him because at first like I was analyzing him and I was like, dude, this this dude do anything other than shoot the ball. Uh, Has very atrocious assist numbers. Uh, He doesn't play defense really. And, you know, it was just kind of like, okay, this dude's just a gunner. He's a straight gunner. And, you know, I talking to more people and looking at more film and looking at more stats, like this dude is just like a generational score. Not like in the fact of like, oh, uh, he's going to be like the next Bradley Beal or Devin Booker or anything. But as far as like college basketball scoring, he did – it was kind of a generational season. I think kind of the way he had it basically do a lot of scoring might have affected his defense, might have affected his playmaking. But – I want to find a stat here. This is the list of major college freshmen who averaged 20 or more points per game. Trey Young, Michael Beasley, Kevin Durant, Markel Foltz, Cam Thomas, R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, Carmelo Anthony, Michael Red, LOL, Chris Humphreys, uh, Sharif Abdur-Rahim, Marvin Bagley, Eric Gordon, O.J. Mayo, Allen Iverson, and then Sharif Cooper, DeAndre Ayton, Kate Cunningham, Jamal Murray. So in that list, most of the time you're finding very, very good players, all-star level players, star level players. And, you know, if you're really talking about taking upside swings at 17, you look no further than Cam Thomas because it's no secret the dude can get buckets. Like, and I think this was something that was kind of tossed out there in Grizzlies Twitter uh, as we were playing the Utah Jazz, it's just a need for a Jordan Clarkson type scorer off the bench who could just come in and build up. Uh, when you're taking your stars at the game, he can either extend the lead or keep you afloat with his bucket getting. And I guess my long-term view and concern with him is will he be a factor anywhere else? You know, uh, I have him as a top 20 talent on my board. I, I forgot how high I had him, definitely in the teens. But, you know, how is everything else going to translate? I mean, no denying he's going to be able to score the basketball at the next level. 
And I've seen a lot of evaluators say that his ceiling will be determined by his situation because if he goes to a rebuilding team like the Houston Rockets, he's just going to have this ultra green light and he may develop bad habits. Um, and we've kind of seen like firsthand what happens with those habits with like guys like Dylan Brooks, who was asked to score a crap ton of points for a team that wasn't any good. Uh, but, you know, I think – and I know Sean can add to this. He said this a lot, but Jenkins' ability to, to develop undersized guards, whether it's Grayson Allen, DeAnthony Melton, uh, Desmond Bain to an extent, I think Kent Thomas would be a great upside swing here. And, you know, if he improves defensively, improves his playmaking, I mean, he could be a guy that can start next to John Morant in the next iteration of – uh, contending Memphis Grizzlies teams. I mean, you know, you talk about like your bucket getters, like your your Beals and Levines, and trading for those guys. But like, shoot, I mean, if he can do all that, that's great. But also, if you're at that floor level, and it's more of like, oh, he's just going to be like Jordan Clarkson or or Will Barton or Lou Williams, like that. That's enticing too. But it's all going to come down to the next that next evolution of his game and becoming a more complete player because if he doesn't become a more complete player then he's going to get phased out of uh crunch time in the playoffs you know he's going to be one of those offense defense kind of guys and you know you just want as many complete players as possible who can who can be on the floor in those last bits of the playoff games but is there is there any y'all want to add to that you know, the, the idea, and you know, at this point in time when the draft happens, we're always thinking best case scenarios with these players, right? And something that, you know, I, I always talk about is when it comes to these ultimate scores, shooters, bucket getters, what, you know, there's now a uh, debate on Twitter of hoopers versus basketball players. You know, they, they, Cam, uh, Cam Thomas comes off as a hooper. Like, he, he, he is a bucket getter, just an absolute wonderful opportunity when it comes to a score. And and if you're the Grizzlies, I think you're fine doing that. I get it. I think Cam Thomas has probably a bigger potential of where he's just a score. Like there's not much that he adds outside of it. But I also think that besides James Booknight, this may be and there are people who are like I had um Ant Wright who who covers a lot of these players at the high school level and you know does YouTube videos and things like that. He's fully convinced that Cam Thomas is the best pure scorer in this draft outside the top four. And so for the Grizzlies, I, I do agree. I think you look to take the opportunity with Cam Thomas. Now, I would probably trade back. I still probably would take Corey Kispert over Cam Thomas, just simply because I think at the end of the day, Kispert does have more upside than people are saying he does. But I do think that with Cam Thomas, there's just so much scoring potential that you could really, really mold, especially trusting your front office and uh, the coaching staff, I certainly would be a, would be on board with bringing him in. And the fact that we're looking at Josh Christopher opens up the door for that possibility. So I'm highly intrigued with Cam Thomas, though I do think that he's still on, on many boards, should still be around 20. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Sean. I, I'm a little low on Cam Thomas just because, to the points y'all have made, he's a great scorer but doesn't necessarily do much else. Um I, I think from a Grizzlies perspective, if he's the pick at 17 or if you trade back and get him, he is kind of that six-man type guy. Um, you know, kind of before the way Dylan finished out this past season, we'd all kind of talk that Dylan's ideal role is, you know, kind of a six-man gunner off the bench. Um, but with his improved defensive play and, you know, 
more, you know, him being more efficient and conscious of his shot selection. Um, you know, Dylan could certainly stay in that starting lineup. Um, and so then you kind of need a scorer off the bench, someone who can create their own shot. And Cam Thomas would, you know, obviously fit the bill. Um, it'd be a little intriguing from a Grizzlies perspective just because they've always gone after guys that, you know, can do a little bit of everything, like, you know, D'Anthony Melton, uh, Brandon Clark. Like, no one's really one-dimensional. Um, Cam Thomas is pretty one-dimensional, and that's why I'm fairly low on him. Uh, I certainly think there's a ton of value in his ability to get to the free-throw line. I think um, in the right, in the right offense, his three-point percentage could improve um, pretty drastically. Um so I, I think there's definitely potential there. I just think to the point you made, Sean, at 17, there's likely to be better prospects who fit more needs and have, you know, more equal upside with less of the risk involved. And, and the one other thing that I'll say, Parker, fits all right, is that, you know, a couple of things is, is that when it – Brandon brings up a great point, and it absolutely is the truth that there were some concerns from his college year. I do think that all that should certainly be taken with a grain of salt because it was a weird year. These freshmen may not have been in the best situations. You know, I've seen a lot of point – uh, a lot of things when it comes to the LSU system, maybe not being the best to really show Cam Thomas's all-around game. But for the Grizzlies specifically, even if all he does is just score, I do think that where he does add value is the multiple ways in which he scores, right? Because he would instantly, in my opinion, have the highest upside of any Grizzlies player to be able to secure his or create his own shot consistently at all three levels with the confidence it can go in. Like I do think he's a better outside shooter than jaw or Dylan and can create and finish better than Dylan can in the mid range or near the rim. So I do agree that outside of his scoring, it may be a bit of a concern that he may not add value really anywhere else, but for a team like the Grizzlies who consistently are among the worst in the league, when it comes to shot creation, the resourcefulness that he has as a scorer that in of itself adds value, and that's why I really do think that he is someone that's high up there with Josh Christopher and tradeback situation. Yeah, for sure. I, I think uh, Cam Thomas would be an exciting pick for the Grizzlies just because, I mean, I guess uh, to quote the, the great Michael Jordan, the ceiling is the roof. And I think Cam Thomas is one of those players, especially with his scoring creation. And uh, just if he adds more to his game, I, I think that'd be interesting to monitor where he goes because if he ends up in a right situation, he, he could be a really good NBA player for a very long time. But the last player I'm going to get into is another suggested player is Jalen Johnson out of Duke. And he's he's polarizing. I mean, he's gonna get a lot of flake because he he quote unquote quit on his team at Duke. But I mean, hey, it was a crazy season. It, it was a lost season for basically the entire NCA with all these COVID protocols and such. Um, I don't. It's his personal decision. I I am not one to either condone or praise his situation because nobody knows behind the scenes stuff like. Don't I'm not worried about it. Uh, with Jalen Johnson, his game is polarizing, in my opinion. So, uh, I mean, if you look at him, he's this six nine big man wing 
whatever, who could run the floor. He could be a playmaker in the open floor. He's just absolutely devastating in transition. He has defensive upside. He has playmaking upside. Uh, he's a strong rebounder. He averaged, uh, I mean, he only averaged 6.1 points in his 13 games at Duke. But, I mean, if you if you look at some of his just monster games, I mean, his first college basketball outing, he had 19 points, 16 rebounds, 5 assists, 4 blocks. Uh, and then he had a game against Pitt where he had 24 points, 16 rebounds, 7 assists, 4 blocks, 2 steals. Uh, he he's just ultra productive, and I do like he would be if he fell at seventeen. That's a gamble that you take. I have my concerns. I mean, he's not much of a half court player. Uh, while he did shoot forty four percent from three, it was on eighteen attempts, and boom on on Jalen Johnson. It's very his shots very stiff. I mean, he also had uh, poor free throw percentage, which is usually not a very good barometer for three point shooting at the NBA level. But I mean, if somebody of of Jalen Johnson's talent fell to seventeen, or even if that you wanted to trade up a couple spots like fifteen with the Washington Wizards, then yeah, he's an talent. I mean, it's going to create kind of a murky fit. Uh, he's just going to have to play behind uh, – more than likely play behind Brandon Clark and Xavier Tillman next season. Uh, I don't see him being much of a factor. Granted, Brandon, Brandon may have a bunch of fun watching him with the hustle next season, but I, I, I don't see an immediate fit with Jalen Johnson, but I do see a long-term fit. He could be that, that four-man. He kind of can kind of be what everybody wants Aaron Gordon to be, in this, this versatile big man who can – play either forward position. He can defend across the floor. He can rebound. He can play in the open floor. Um, he can pass a little bit as well. But I think just those half-court fit issues, both – I mean, he, he had an astronomically high turnover percentage. I want to say it was like something like 20%, which uh, I think it means that, like, he turned the ball over one in every five possessions. I mean, that's that's bad. That That's really bad if you ask me. And he's he's a stiff three point shooter, and he he's just he, he's a he's a gamble. He is definitely a gamble. He is somebody who you take an upside swing on, and it could be a home run swing and a miss. But the Memphis Grizzlies could afford that, and if they took him, be ecstatic because I mean people were talking about him being up there with. Kuminga and Barnes and players like that. So if they pick Jalen Johnson, awesome. But I do have my concerns. Uh, Joe, before we conclude this green room, I know you're a little little late to the party. Do you have any remarks on you know any potential long-term fits with Kispert, Garuba, Johnson, Cam Thomas, or just anyone that entices you uh, in the long view term of things? First of all, how dare you say that I am late, okay? I can do as I please as the Grand Pumbaa over at GBB. The only reason 38 I'm, minutes. 38 I, minutes late. Actually. The only reason I am addressing things in this manner is because Sean was disrespectful to me in the chat. I requested, as I was supposed to, 
I requested three players that I would have liked you brilliant minds to break down. They just all happened to be Virginia Cavaliers, and Sean rejected me. So I know you've been on for 45 minutes here, but I'm going to take the next hour and a half doing a deep dive into all three of these people, and you all will listen and enjoy it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, the, the guys that you've talked about, uh, I, I'm kind of intrigued by Cam Thomas, to be honest with you. I, I like Cam Thomas a lot. I think he's somebody that actually kind of fits the mold of, you know, the Moses Moody's, kind of like a poor man's Moses Moody. And I, I think that that actually will help in terms of if you don't want to trade up for that kind of a player, then you could probably wait around at 17 and have somebody like that be available. Same thing with Trey Mann. I think Mann's a little smaller than Thomas, but a similar concept. Guys that can score the basketball. Mann really really grew as the season went on to Florida. Um, you know, th- those are guys that I think could be potential strong options for Memphis at 17 if they stay there, which, as I've said, Throughout this process, I'm not convinced they're actually going to stay there. Uh, I, I, I'm not a big Jalen Johnson guy. I get, you know, Ben Simmons vibes from him. I, I kind of like your Aaron Gordon comp that I hadn't really thought of that before, but that makes sense um, in terms of what he potentially could be. His shot is very rigid. I did one of his prospect profiles, uh, one of the prospect profiles for us over at GBB. I did Johnson's. And, you know, I, I also think that there, there's – there's fire where there's smoke in the way of that guy in two years. And again, there was a pandemic going on and still going on, I guess. But in two years, he played for three different teams, only played in 22 games. Um, I just am concerned about not just his fit physically, but also would he be a fit with the kind of player? He would just be the antithesis of what they've brought into the organization at this point, if that makes sense. So I know Sean wants to finish up with Jalen Johnson. I, I think after doing the profile, because he's definitely one of the more talented players in this draft, but talent doesn't immediately make you a good basketball player. It doesn't make you immediately a good pro, especially. And I, I think there's enough red flags when it comes to Jalen Johnson. I don't think he'll be there at 17, but I, I think he definitely could be someone that a lot of folks see in the top 10, top 8 kind of picture that could fall outside of the lottery. To me, if I was a gambling man, I might bet if there was a prop bet most likely to fall out of the lottery, I, I, Jalen Johnson screams that. No, I, and, and I, I hope I didn't interrupt. I, I completely understand where everybody's coming from with Jalen Johnson, but I will say that there is a bit of a logic path to follow with this front office. You know, they have taken chances on some questionable talents. They did it with Josh Jackson. I know that it was to get DeAnthony Melton, but they did get Josh Jackson's career back on point. He had a great year with Detroit last year. They took on a questionable personality with Grayson Allen, made the most of his opportunity you know, there, and he certainly has turned into a good rotational player. And the other thing that I think that stands out about Jalen Johnson is that he may not contribute that necessarily that much in his first year. It may be a redshirt year. But you've got Kyle Anderson, who would be a great mentor to learn from when it comes to the natural ability that Jalen Johnson has. And instead of the Grizzlies potentially having to pay Kyle Anderson 13 to 15 million a year after this year for multiple years into the future, perhaps then you have Jalen Johnson learning from him, ready to step into his role on a very cheap contract moving forward. So that would be a path of logic to where it would make sense to where if you wanted to go after a Jalen Johnson, I agree. I don't think that he would be the pick and I probably would pick three to 
25 players over him. I could easily see a case of a Cam Thomas over a Jalen Johnson. But I do think that there is sensible approaches for the Grizzlies to get him, especially with their need with that multi, with that you know significantly talented young wing as being the ideal fit for them from this draft. That would be my my methods with support. The red shirt argument is definitely the best one. If you look at him in that way. You're keeping the roster essentially the same, Parker. I think that would be, to, to piggyback off of Sean, I would buy into that. If they came out and said, hey, he hasn't played a lot of basketball in the last couple of years, our roster is pretty much set for this season. Next season, that's not the case. They have several guys in free agency, uh, including two in unrestricted free agency in Jonas Valanciunas and, of course, Kyle Anderson, who, in, in theory, Johnson could be replacing. Um, if you view it through that lens, it makes a little more sense but to me, like I said, I, I question the fit of what they've defined as the Grizzlies standard. I don't know that every organization does things the same way the Grizzlies do. From a basketball standpoint, I think Sean is spot on. But uh, the, the overall culture they're trying to establish, Johnson has the talent. I don't know if he has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I just, just to close it, I'll give my very brief thoughts on uh, Joe's uh, UVA guys. Uh, I'll Thank start you, with, Parker. Uh, Trey Murphy. Trey Thank Murphy, you. absolutely, absolutely. I'm going to be honest. I think Trey Murphy's emerging as one of my favorite uh, targets at 17 because he he fits everything that I want for a big wing. He it's it's funny. He's he actually has better measurements than Brandon Clark and Xavier Tillman. He's like six nine with a seven foot wingspan. That's surely enticing to have on the wing. Uh, if if people don't consider Kispert the best shooter in the draft, that they may actually consider uh, Trey Murphy the third to be the best shooter in the draft. Uh, he shot 42% from three, 90% from the free throw line. And I'm very intrigued by his potential as this interchangeable forward who can kind of take over like what Kyle Anderson did as a 3-4 hybrid. Uh, he can add a little more floor spacing, but you know, Virginia doesn't do the best at optimizing offensive talent, and I think there's maybe more elements to Murphy's game that we haven't seen yet, so that'd be enticing. Uh, Sam Hosser, he was the leading scorer for uh, Virginia this past season. I would consider him uh, a very strong target at 51, uh, 41% from three this past season, uh, about seven rebounds, two assists, kind of – I think he kind of fits that uh, that front office mold that they've targeted a little bit. Is he's highly productive college basketball players. Another wing with great size. He's he's six foot eight. Uh, very good in between game as well. I'd be very happy with him. Uh, Jay Huff. I, I don't know a lot about him. Uh, I mean, just from sports reference. I mean, he shot almost sixty percent from the field. Uh, wow, thirty nine percent from three. Uh, good rebounder. Good shot blocker. He was he's seven foot one. That's pretty cool. Um, stashing either one of those two guys with the hustle and just waiting for that uh, consol- like waiting for that consolidation. Like th- th- those, those two would be very cool pieces. Uh, I mean, as far as Huff goes, I'd rather prioritize more of that rim runner um, if, with that hypothetical fifth big man spot or uh, project big man that's kind of waiting around for what, what sort of con- uh, consolidation trade. I'd rather target somebody like Jericho Sims because John Morant deserves a, a seven foot uh, rim runner, somebody that can just like he just like throw it up to and for alley oops the whole time. But if they came out with uh, the UV, any of the UVA guys, I'd be pretty happy. And you know what? If Joe's happy too, 
that's what makes GBB a better place. That is absolutely what matters. And I, I really appreciate you acknowledging that, you know, as long as I am in a good place mentally, everybody else can be in a, in a good place too. So thank you, Parker. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on the talk. And, and I agree with your assessment on the UVA guys. Uh, I, I like Jay Huff a little more than you, but at the same time, he's the, the, him and Hauser both are, are players that would be second round flyers there at 51 at 17. It would be Murphy. That would be, the main interesting piece. But I do think if they keep both picks, you're going to see them go one way with a upside swing and they'll go one way with a surefire. We know he's going to be good. He may not be great, but we know he's going to be good. It'll just be interesting to see where they do it. If they do it in the first round or the second round, because the second round, I mean, Luca Garza, who I did my profile on for uh, on Monday for GBB, he'll probably be there at 51. And I'm not saying he's going to be a great pro, but I find it hard to believe he's going to be a complete washout in the NBA. There's been guys that were far less uh, able than him, especially offensively, that had decent NBA careers, like Tyler Hansborough, for example. He jumps out in my mind as someone who hung around the league for a little while and does not have the offensive skill set that Garza does. So if Hansborough can make a name for himself in the league for a little bit, I don't see why Garza can't. Yeah, for sure. You know what, guys? That That's about all the time we're going to have for this week's edition of The Long View. Uh, shout out GBB Live. Shout out The Long View Podcast. Shout out The Law Don Grizzlies Podcast. And also shout out to another podcast from another guest in the room, the Sound and Color Podcast, as Isaiah Downey is in the room as well. But uh, make sure you tune in next week. We'll be talking about the consensus big board. Uh, I'll have two two writers on to talk about their fiery hot takes and uh, predictions for the Grizzlies on draft night. But thanks, everybody, from for joining. Uh, and make sure you check out the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. <laughs>